All right, I need you to get your voting arms ready because you need to pick option number one or option number two in a sec. So give it a stretch. Get it ready. Get it up there. Come on. Yep. All right, here we go. Uh, In America, who gets more praise, more respect? Uh, Who do people strive to live like? We're looking at people as a whole. Uh, Who are we told is worth aiming at? Person number one or person number two? So number one is this. The one who is independent, self-determined, and clearly successful or the one who is dependent, deferring to others, and whose success is not clearly identifiable. So, number one, who thinks? Okay, a lot of you. Okay, number two. There's a couple. Good, good, good. Okay, all right. Uh, I agree with you who voted for number one. We praise, and we offer respect, and we strive to be like those who act more like cancer than a healthy organ in a body. Uh, Consider the similarities for just a minute. Uh, Between cancer and a healthy organ, let's call it a kidney. Uh, Between cancer and a kidney, both are part of the body when cancer is connected there, both integrated into it, both rely on it for nutrients, both are aiming to survive and thrive for as long as possible. But some key distinctions between cancer and a kidney, Cancer isn't supposed to be there, a kidney is. Uh, Cancer takes what it wants, what it needs, all it can get, defers to no others, contributes to no others, but uses everything for its own sake and for what it determines itself wants to be, Uh, aims at its own individual success, grows as big as possible, thrives even at the expense of killing the body that it is relying on. But take a kidney for example, takes what it needs, but only what it needs, defers to others as there's different needs within the body, contributes to others so that all of them together can fully be what they were intended to be, grows only in the space that is intended for it so that as the body as a whole survives, the body as a whole survives as long as possible. And so that all can do collectively what it was intended to do as a body as a whole. To walk, to run, to think, to befriend, to discover, to share, to comfort, to love. (laughs) Given the cancerous culture that we live in, Paul's words to the Roman Christians, what Katie read just a minute ago, are not only a bit confusing to our ears, they are definitely counterintuitive to the way that culture has and is shaping us. I want you to open up to Romans chapter 12. So uh, pull out the Bible uh, that's uh, there in the rack in front of you. If you've got a digital version, uh, that works too. These are great verses uh, to underline and take note of. If you brought your Bible along with you, uh, feel free to mark it up and uh, put some notes in the margin. God is okay with that. He wants you to use his word in a way that would be a blessing to you. So if you want to underline, if you want to write, go for it. Romans chapter 12, where if I had to put it in just a sentence, uh, Paul is calling us to be organs, to be kidneys, and not cancer. Uh, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Four, 
By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves, of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Here's the key part. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Uh, Let me read those last couple words again. Uh, Each member belongs to all the others. Man, does that push back on the thought of, uh, I'm not my brother's keeper. Like, that's very much a a cancer kind of uh, approach to life. Uh, I'm not my brother's keeper. It's not what a kidney says uh, as it thinks about the other parts of the body. Though I think a a guy named uh, Jay Kim, who wrote a book called Analog Church, uh, puts quite pointedly in a way that, that meets my heart, and maybe it hits yours as well, as we think about ourselves and a church and Uh, what kind of tendencies are within us. Uh, He writes, we gather as a church, uh, he's speaking of, we gather as a scattered collection of individuals with priority given to our own individual needs and desires over and above the unique roles we might be called and equipped to play in the larger life of the body. Now, at first, I kind of want to say, no, 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 We're, we've got it better than that. You, you've got us wrong, Jay. Uh, but as I consider the phrases that even come out of my own mouth, like your personal relationship with Jesus, <laughs> your pastors talk about this. Uh, true, uh, very much uh, you are individually connected to Jesus, certainly in the waters of baptism. We talk about God personally coming to you in, in the sacrament of the altar here. It's given for you, shed for you. There is this personal connection, but it's not independent of or more important than your connection as a part of the body. Uh, but how very hyper-individualistic it is. Not all that surprising here in America. We're all about what I can do and what my individual rights are and what what, uh, is entitled to me and what I should be able to do and should have space to be able to not be told what others, others shouldn't be able to tell me what what I should do. We, We think this way. It's not surprising that this has made it into our church. My question is, do you see these individual tendencies in yourself? Maybe when you picked this church or you're in the process of of finding a new church and you're here today. Uh, Maybe when you decide how you'll participate in the ministries here or elsewhere. When you decide whether or not you'll start up a conversation in the narthex or with somebody at lunch or along the side of a a soccer field or wherever it is that you end up gathering with other people. As you decide uh, about that, do you decide more based on what you need, what you desire, or is it more based on what you think others need? Do you pick a church because it'll serve you and your family in the season of life that you're in? or because in connection with that church, you see an opportunity to give in the ways you've been uniquely gifted to give? Do you participate in a ministry or engage in a conversation because you have something to gain or because you see that you have something to give that somebody else might need? Do you act more like cancer or a kidney? There's no question why this is hard 
for us. Uh, there's a professor at MIT. Uh, her name is Sherry Turkle. She's a professor of social studies of science and technology. So kind of uh, social studies kind of stuff and technology things and finding uh, how they end up working in, in uh, concert with one another. Uh, she writes in, in her uh, observations and looking at things that the startling fiction of the digital age, the one in which we live, is that the best sort of communities and connections we can experience are the ones that we can customize and craft to our own personal likings. We experience this all the time. I mean, uh, you tell Reddit uh, what you like and it'll email you the things. You tell Facebook what your favorites are and it'll send you more of those things. It works that way in all of the social media out there. I mean, even when you don't want it to, the advertisers are finding what you like and flashing the ad up along the side of whatever it is that you're scrolling on so that it can tell you more of these things. It gives you the echo chamber of some more stuff that agrees with you or some more stuff that you uh, have not liked before and now you can not like this thing too and, and be enraged about that whatever it might be, it's a lie that this is the best kind of community to be in, the one that you can customize and craft to your own personal likings. And regardless of how that's been crafted for you, it isn't the body of Christ that Paul is describing. We must not aim to be that kind of body, neither in our local iteration here, nor collectively as a whole as the church. See, the body of Christ that Paul describes, the, the body image that we should have of ourselves together as the local church here and collectively as the body of Christ uh, throughout the world connected to Jesus, uh, as those broken image bearers bound together in the body of Christ. That's the way Pastor Brian talked about it last week. If you missed that one, the beginning of our series, feel free to go back on YouTube or catch us on the podcast and, and catch that one as well. It'll help connect all the pieces together. We're in a week two of this series. He talked about us being broken image bearers bound together as the body of Christ. That it's a body that we decidedly don't customize. We don't get to craft. We don't get to choose who's in or how it works. I mean, even just look around the room here. This gathering of people is a different sort of cosmopolitan group than probably most other places in your life. Most other places we gather are people that think like us, act like us, have the same interests as us in some way, as some sort of affinity group, same season of life, you name it. But here, there's a cross-section in a, in a way different way than any other place. We don't decide. It is what God makes us by grafting together all the broken pieces. Uh, Pastor Brian put a picture up for us last week. I don't have it for you now, but, but basically it was a pot that had cracks all the way through it. It was made up of broken pieces that then were pieced together to be a complete piece. And, and then on those cracks was gold lines and it ended up being more beautiful together than what it had been previously. What was uh, a previously unbroken pot gets broken and put back together with gold uh, linings uh, in between and in the cracks and it ends up more beautiful together. And he encouraged us that, that we too are broken people that are, are together. We who are cancerously leaning kidneys and livers and lungs and fingers and toes and elbows and belly buttons grafted together. We are this body each a broken piece, and in some ways, uh, like you might get a kidney transplant, uh, 
brought in, uh, foreign to the body, but yet has purpose here. Where in some ways, this is a weird uh, thing, so uh, sorry if you don't like this, but uh, we're sort of like a Frankenstein. Like all the pieces uh, put together, but, but God designing it for a purpose. That is who we are. You're not cancer. You, you are a kidney. You, you are a lung. You are a piece that's needed and designed and whatever your giftedness is. And that part of that's why it's beautiful, that you belong. And all people belong, but it's not just beautiful. Friends, I want you to see today that it's valuable to you and to the world. Valuable because... This is not only different than any other community that you get to be in, but different because increasingly you get to live more like kidneys than like cancer. Here you can find, others can find a group of people that not only desire but are empowered by the God of the universe to lay aside their preferences and offer their full presence. That we can lay aside our preferences and offer one another our full presence. See, preference is what cancer does. This is what I want, this is what I'm in for, in it for. Uh, It doesn't matter what others need. Presence is what kidneys do. This is what I offer. Yes, I do rely on others, and they rely on me. There is this mutual support kind of thing, but I'm part of the whole, primarily, not just technically connected to it. I mean, just for uh, an example, look at the first disciples that Jesus gathered around him. They are an amazing picture of the gospel just in who they are. A group who set aside preference and is committing, committed to offering their full presences to one another. There's two in particular. So Matthew, a tax collector, and Simon, the zealot. These two guys would not be in the same space, much less share a meal, much less live in community together for a couple of years and, and enjoy all that time. I mean, they are like oil and water, like, like Michigan and Michigan State, or Ohio State, but we won't go there. <laughs> Uh, they're like Trump and Biden being on the same team. But, but just imagine for a sec, what if under Jesus, Trump and Biden were? Because they thought uh, trusting in him and following him and, and their allegiance to him was more important than any of their other preferences. What a good news piece that would be, a, a testament uh, to the world of who God is and, and uh, what kind of gathering this church is. Anyways, so Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot, uh, so you understand what was going on there. Matthew, a tax collector, was seen as uh, a friend of the oppressors, a friend of the Romans. He was working for the Romans, collecting taxes, so he's he's working for the bad guys, and he's probably a thief, because that's what tax collectors did. They would ask for more than what they really were supposed to take, Uh, and so we've got this thief and traitor among us. And then on the flip side, you've got Simon the zealot. Now, we don't know exactly what he was zealous for, but the best guess is that he was uh, among those groups that eventually got called the Zealots, which were zealously against Rome, zealously against those that were oppressive, zealously against those people that were um, a part of that empire. And so to him, Matthew is not only a traitor, but the face of the evil empire among them. And yet these two walked with Jesus. They're together, each playing their part in the body for the sake of the bigger picture, the greater cause, the work of the body as a whole to welcome more 
into that body and see that they too belong there. What we have is so valuable for everyone is longing for belonging. Everyone is looking for it and often in all the wrong places and often struggling to find what they're looking for. Never before in history have people had more opportunities or more channels or ease of access to connect with other people. And yet many find themselves lonelier and more isolated than ever before. A core longing built into each person is this craving for community and connection. The craving for being known and being seen, being understood. It seems like technology would help us here. But as Turkle has observed, the, the one I quoted before, the MIT professor, she says that it often promises more than it produces and often distracts us from being fully present with those who we could be present with. Let me just give you a few quotes from her book, Alone Together. It says, we, we often are physically close, but far from one another in the ways that truly matter. Uh, she gives an example. Uh, children have always competed for their parents' attention, but this generation has experienced something new. Previously, children had to deal with parents being off with work, with friends, or each other. Today, children contend with parents who are physically close, tantalizingly so, but mentally elsewhere. Fubbing is a word. Anybody heard this word before, fubbing? Phone snubbing. It's right here. If I pull this out and, and, and do this while I'm talking to you, you think there's something more important than you and this message going on when I, when I do this. Do this often enough with your family, your kids, your friends. Maybe it seems like a minor thing in the moment. Oh, I'm just doing this. I'm just multitasking. Uh, it, it buzzed in my pocket. I, it's, it's no big deal. But do this often enough? <laughs> And can I just talk to parents and grandparents, especially for a sec? Do this often enough in front of your kids and your grandkids. This does collectively end up producing trauma-like results for them uh, along the lines of neglect. They just don't feel as important as whatever it is that's on the screen in front of you, whatever that might be, as important as that might be to you. Every time you check your phone in company, Turkle writes, what you gain is a hit of stimulation. You actually get a dopamine hit. I mean, this is a thing that, that uh, affects the pleasure center of your body. It, it is the same feeling when you, when you, hit, when you hit it on the, uh, the jackpot machine or, or some other happy thing comes along. They've built these machines. They are not neutral. They are trying to, to get, get your attention for as long as possible and for as often as possible. And so it does work this way in our brains. You can read more with Turkle. She's the expert on these things. But you, what you gain is this neurochemical um, shot. What you lose is what a friend, a teacher, a parent, a lover, a coworker, not only just said, but meant <laughs> and felt. See, tech often promises more than it delivers. Turkle writes, uh, these days, insecure in our relationships and anxious about intimacy, 
we look to technology for ways to be in relationships, but protect ourselves from them all at the same time. She explains, technology is seductive when it offers to meet our human vulnerabilities. And as it turns out, we are vulnerable. Indeed, we are lonely. And yet we are fearful of the closeness that we long for, the intimacy. And digital connections, they offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Our network lives allow us to hide from each other even as we're tethered to each other. That's why we'd rather talk, or rather text, than talk. Because it offers just the right amount of access, just the right amount of control. She writes, uh, she is a modern Goldilocks. For her, texting puts people not too close, but not too far, just the right distance. And the world is now full of modern Goldilockses, people who take comfort with being in touch with a lot of people whom they also keep at bay. Enough on Turkle. You can read her book if you'd like. But into this reality, we get to hold tightly as this church that we are the body, the church, because Jesus came in the flesh. In the flesh, just like us. Not only to do what we couldn't do for us in terms of living a perfect life on our behalf and to earn what we couldn't do, but also to do for us what he empowers us to do for others, to be fully in the flesh present, body, mind, and spirit. Uh, open up Romans 12 again. Uh, read uh, there at the beginning of verse 1 along with you. Romans 12:1. In view of God's what? Mercy. In view of him coming to be fully present with us in all these ways of enduring all that we endure, experiencing every temptation that we experience, every heartache and hurt, experiencing even the loneliness of having his father distance himself from him as he bore all our sins on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Enduring that loneliness, why? So that you'd never have to coming to be bodily present with us here on this earth so that you could be bodily present with him in all of eternity, uh, rising from the dead bodily, uh, promising a bodily resurrection for you so that you could be bodily together in eternity. Presence matters enough that he would leave heaven and bodily be present with us here on earth. <laughs> In view of God's mercy, in view of him being the most opposite of cancer that he could be, in view of his complete selflessness, his complete dependence on his father to provide for him, his complete lack of concern for his own success, his complete commitment to doing what's best for us rather than himself, we get to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And to do that, it starts with our minds. Verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? What does it say? The renewing of your mind. How do you do that? Verse 3. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. If I think of myself more arrogantly and that I deserve more, that I'm entitled to more, he says, let, set this aside. Those are cancerous thoughts. Remember, you're a kidney. Be a kidney. 
So just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Embrace this body image. You belong to others and they to you. You're responsible to them and they are to you. And that needs to matter more than what you want in view of of his mercy, in view of the mercy that he's given us, not because we deserve it, because man, being physically separated from him and uh, from everybody else and banished to an eternity of loneliness is what's deserved. Instead, we've been made a part of him, broken and cancerously leaning as we are, Therefore, his power is at work within us. So we're enabled to increasingly offer ourselves to others in in the ways that he's given himself to us, increasingly set aside our preferences to be more fully present with those in front of us because they too are part of us, the body of Christ, because they too have something unique to contribute because they too are depending on us. And so we offer them, one another, our presence. What does that mean? That's probably a whole nother sermon. I'll just give you one thing today. Repeat after me. Seven minutes. Seven minutes. Wisdom drawn from both of the books I mentioned earlier. Says it takes seven minutes to start having a real conversation. Seven minutes to get past the weather and the, the whatevers and the, the things that make us nervous. Seven minutes to get to one of those pauses where you're sort of like, oh, I'd rather check my phone than hang in this conversation any longer. Seven minutes. Meaningful community is forged slowly over time with much compromise and understanding. It takes seven minutes for a conversation to really get going. So then it's only in the stumbling and the silence and the hesitation that we really get to be fully present with one another. As convenient, as inconvenient as it sometimes is, leading our whole presence and offering our full presence to one another matters a great deal, especially now. Let me wrap up here. While we might be inclined to be cancerous, God has made us to be a kidney, transplanted and purposefully placed as a part of the body. See yourself first and foremost this way and trust that your preferences being in second place is actually better because the God who is the good provider will take care of you. You're better, the church is better, our community and our world will be a better place when we see this gift that we have and that we are to the world being fully present one seven-minute conversation at a time. May God lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen.